The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And to learn more about my work and the work of my two partners, Chen Lin and Roger Wiegand, you can go to a couple of different websites. Uh, For me and Chen, it's miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com. And for Roger and myself, webeatthestreet.com. Webeatthestreet.com. You can sign up for our special trial offers. uh, Call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, in New York at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426. We're offering a three, uh, uh, excuse me, a one-month trial for Chen Lin for $39, a one-month trial for Roger Wiegand at $49, and there's a three-month trial for my newsletter for, um, I think it's $59. Anyway, there's two other websites where I am posting uh, daily blogs. They are jtaylormedia.com. That's J-A-Y-TaylorMedia.com. And also at goldinvestor.com. That's gold, G-O-L-D, hyphen, investor.com. Also, um, you can go to another website called jayswatchlist.com. That's J-A-Y-S watchlist.com to take a look at the companies that I've got uh, on the horizon that I'm looking at, companies that are on uh, on my radar screen, companies that could make it into my newsletter as buy recommendations. In fact, uh, about three or four of them already have over the last couple of months or so. 
Um, I want to thank each of you for listening to our show. Uh, we are very, very pleased to see that it is gaining in popularity, and the reason it's gaining in popularity is because of our excellent guest. And today we have a most exciting guest. He's John Perkins, the author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and another book called The Truth About Economic Hitmen, Jackals, and How to Change the World. John's going to be with us in our second and third segments, which we will run through without a, corp- without a commercial break. Um, so that's the reason the show has been picking up in popularity. We've had uh, Rob Kirby last week. Before that, Robert Prechter. We've had Ron Paul. We've had Mark Faber. We've had too many great guests to, to mention, and we're going to have lots more in the weeks to come. Lest I forget, I want to thank our corporate sponsors who make this show financially possible, Apollo Gold, Bonterra Resources, Hawthorne Gold, Metanor Resources, Pediment Gold, Palangio Explorations, and Sand Gold. And this past week, Apollo Gold announced some very significant gold assays, again, on its Gray Fox property. That property in Ontario is shaping up to be what I think could very well be a world-class gold deposit in the making, and the company should be producing something like 100,000 ounces this year uh, at below $400 cost. Metanor Resources, well, the news there isn't quite as happy. Metanor this week announced uh, the unfortunate uh, accident and apparent deaths of three workers on its Bachelor Lake mine. This is a tragic event, so, so no matter what happens uh, with the company's future, our, our, our hearts go out to the people that have lost their, their loved ones in this tragic event. We will be having Metanor on to talk about this and the company's future. That said, I do believe Metanor has a very bright future going forward, but we'll have to see what happens, uh, how all this shakes out in terms of the company's future. Uh, we've had really good results so far this year. I'm very pleased our, our average... Uh, our model portfolio is up about 53%. That compares to an S&P 500 that before today was up about 15%. We're up. The big the big gainers are in the uranium sector, up 150% on average. And our speculative mining companies, those are the juniors that are finding the gold in the ground, primarily in other metals, but mostly gold. They're up 108% so far this year. But we are very very concerned. We do think we're nearing the peak of this B wave up and that we're going to have another major uh, equity market meltdown here in the near future. We think the probabilities are very high that that could happen. And so in the last segment of today's show, we are going to talk a little bit about that and what we think you need to do to protect yourself against that. Um, we uh, So uh, in the meantime, I just want to go back to last week. Last week, we promised you when we had Rob Kirby on as our special guest uh, that we would uh, address the inflation issue. The week before that, we had Robert Prechter on our show, and Robert was, of course, making the case for deflation. He is a staunch deflationist, and he makes a pretty good argument for it, I believe, in my mind. But nonetheless, there's probably more people that buy into the inflation argument and the fears of inflation. And it does matter because it makes a big difference how we invest our money, how we prepare for the future, which of these two unfortunate events unfold, we think, we will not escape one or the other. We don't think there's going to be an easy, soft landing anywhere in our future, given the way policymakers have messed things up so badly in the financial markets. In any event, because we didn't get around to talking to Rob Kirby last week about inflation, we've invited him back uh, to to address that question. Rob, thanks for joining us again. Wonderful to speak with you, Jay. Um, you know, if I understand it, Rob, you and I have talked off the air about this issue many times. Uh, remember the 1980s, we had the uh, the bond vigilantes who really went out there and uh, when policy was bad and, and money was created out of thin air to such a great extent, uh, they bid up the sh- you know the long end of the yield curve, interest rates rose, and economic growth was stymied. 
you don't see that happening anymore. I believe you think the uh, the bond vigilantes have all been emasculated. Can you explain that and why? And is that the reason you think we're headed for much higher inflation rates in the future? Absolutely, it is, Jay. Uh, my my view is that the bond vigilantes are uh, they're all dead, and they've been taken away effectively by the artificial demand that was created for bonds that came out of what we talked about last week, which is the interest rate swap complex. Mm -hmm. And how that plays into inflation and where I think a lot of people get off the rails uh, in in terms of their understanding of inflation, most people have have a hard time grasping in their mind inflation is a monetary event. Mm -hmm. And to, to make it really simple for people, think in terms of if you create more money, you have inflation, and if you destroy money or if you take money away from the system, th- then you can have deflation. And a lot of deflationists uh, uh, that are in the market today, Jay, I think they try to make comparisons. And a lot of the people, who, uh, and, and uh, something that you speak a lot about uh, uh, with your cycles, uh, the, the long wave cycles, mm-hmm. they try to make the comparisons uh, equating what's going on today to back in the 1930s, saying that we're getting a replay of the 1930s today. And back in the 1930s, we did have a deflation. I mean, I, I acknowledge, I admit it, it, it really happened. But in the 1930s, we were on a gold standard. And because we were on a gold standard in the 1930s, that prevented the wholesale creation of limitless amounts of money because it was capped by how much gold was in the vault because the currency was backed by gold. Today, currency is not backed by gold. We have a Fed chairman who has literally said that people don't understand that the Fed can throw money out of helicopters if it comes to doing that. And there's no doubt in my mind he's quite prepared to do that should, should the situation get that dire, which it very, very well may, uh, because, because the, the artificial scarcity that everybody feels for money right now, businesses that can't get loans, this this is all artificial. It is engineered. Uh, it, it, it's, it would be much the equivalent if I, put a, if I put a plastic bag over your head, Jay, and I smothered you and, please don't. and then told everyone there was no air. Well, there isn't for you, but that doesn't mean there's no air. Mm-hmm. There's lots of air. I've just created an artificial construct where you don't get any. But, Rob, don't we have to get money in the hands of the people? I mean, so far what we're doing is uh, we're empowering Goldman Sachs and the major you know, financial institutions with trillions of dollars created out of thin air, and the rich are getting richer, and the common folks are really sucking wind right now. They don't have oxygen. I agree with you. So how do we get inflation if we don't have the masses with purchasing power? That's my question. Uh, how do we get inflation? Well, we have what, what, what we end up with, or where we're headed, in, uh, in my view, at breakneck pace where we're headed, is a currency crisis. Mm-hmm. Because what we have, uh, uh, what we have is, uh, I think the ratio works something along the lines of uh, 70 cents of every U.S. dollars in existence are held by foreigners. Mm. And that's, that's a number that I think most people would, would agree to. I've read, it, I've read it in tens, if not hundreds of places over the years. So you could see the dollar becoming extremely weak and the uh, cost of oil and everything else that we import in the United States becoming extremely expensive. Is that your thesis? Yeah. Yes, absolutely, because the Federal Reserve is creating so many dollars that name one foreign country that, w- that, uh, that is willing, that, that wants to hold more U.S. dollars. 
All well, we hear about in the news is countries wishing to uh, reduce their U.S. dollar exposure. And any, and any country that is accumulating more U.S. dollars, I'm going to suggest to you they're doing it, uh, they're doing it at, the, at the end of a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing it, uh, you know, by, by, by threat. U.S. threats, and, U.S. military threats, perhaps. I believe so, yes. Very interesting. Rob, uh, this is, you provided a very good segue into our guest uh, today, into uh, John Perkins, but I want to ask you before we move on to the next segment, you talk about hyperinflation. How high could prices go in the U.S., and how quickly could that occur? Well, the history of hyperinflation, uh, and there have been many of them over the course of the history of mankind, hyperinflations generally come on like lightning bolts out of left field. And to give people an idea how quickly they do come on, usually within a space uh, at the onset of a hyperinflation, usually within 10 business days, if you want to think in terms of having a million dollars of purchasing power today, because most people can wrap their head around what a million dollars buys today, 10 days later, it buys the equivalent of $500 worth. That's how quick hyperinflations historically have come on, and there are many documented examples of inflation coming well, on just that fast. Well, that's, that's frightening, and let's hope and pray that, that that sort of thing does not happen here. We are going to talk to John Perkins. He's the author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and John will have, I think, some things to say about the American currency and, uh, and all about many of the things that Rob was just talking about. So, folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with John Perkins, the author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike 
River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well-positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, it is really an honor for me to say that we have John Perkins, the author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman, more recently another book, The Secret History of the American Empire, John is with us today. I'm not going to read John's uh, bio. I think many of you, most of you probably know of John Perkins uh, from his book, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, which was a bestseller on the New York York Times list for a long time. Uh, When I first read Confessions of an Economic Hitman, I couldn't hardly believe what I was reading. I didn't think that that America would ever behave that way. And um, uh, and so we're here uh, with John today to get him to talk uh, a little bit more about the secret history of the American empire and, uh, and confessions of an economic hitman and, and what your country and my country is really doing overseas, and, and not only overseas, but perhaps how it might be affecting us here in the United States, here in our own land as well. Welcome, John, to our show. Thanks, Jay. It's great to be with you. Uh, John, uh, the title of your most recent book, The Secret History of the American Empire, um, you talked about an empire. You know, I don't think most Americans think of us as an empire. Could you tell our listeners how you define an empire? Well, in the book, I, we we talk about eight points in the definition of empire. That uh, uh, pretty much, if, if you if you satisfy two, at least two of those, you're an empire. We essentially satisfy all of them, and, and I won't hit on on each one of them. They are in the book, but perhaps the most important is that. Uh, we're less than 5% of the world's population living in, in the United States. We consume more than 25% of the world's resources. That's one of the definitions of an empire, a, a country that you know, just accumulates all the resources from everybody else and often does it through uh, unscrupulous means or the use of military. And I talk a lot about that in the book. Another one is that our language is the most prevalent in the world from a business standpoint. Uh, all, all business is essentially conducted in English. Uh, our movies, our books, our theater, our music is prevalent throughout the world. Um, and uh, another extremely important one is that the U.S. dollar is the world's primary currency. In fact, the only currency that can be used to buy many commodities, including the most essential one, oil. 
Now, these are all characteristics of, of an empire. And, in, in you know, another one which isn't actually part of this characteristic, but we have a military bases in over 130 countries around the world. Our military presence is extremely strong, even though most Americans don't, don't re realize that. And I agree with you, Jay. I think most people living in the United States are shocked to think that our lifestyle here is very dependent on extreme exploitation mm. of resources, resources and people in other countries. It's why I write the books, because I think we in the United States need to understand that. I think if most of the American people really understood the implications of what we're doing around the world, uh, we wouldn't put up with it, because we, we would see that it's, 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 it's very contrary to our principles, and in fact is creating a very dangerous world for our children and grandchildren. Well, John, do you think those um, those activities are limited to overseas, or might they be somewhat um, occurring here in our own land? Well, you know, Jay, I've got a, a new book coming out next week. In fact, a week from today, November 10th, called Hoodwinked. It's hmm. Random, Random House is publishing it in one week. And uh, that book really goes into how we have been hoodwinked in the United States. And, in fact, uh, this empire that we've created overseas has, has come back to haunt us. The economic hitmen have very much been at work in the United States, uh, convincing all, all of us to take on huge amounts of debt, to privatize some of our most important public sectors, uh, to operate in a world where the, the, whole, the king is profit, regardless of social and environmental costs. And in fact, uh, that has put us into this extremely dangerous situation of an of a economic meltdown here in the United States and, and around the planet. So. Yeah, you know, what comes around goes around, and the economic hitmen have come home to roost, and we're truly experiencing this now. It's time we really understood it and, and strike back. It's time we take back our country. In a way, I, I feel that our country has really been stolen mm -hmm. uh, by the very rich and the very powerful at the expense of all the rest of us. And, in fact, the world has been stolen, and it's time that we, we change that. And I'm, I'm optimistic that we can change it. Well, I really hope you're right about that, John. Um, the sixth uh, A criteria that you mentioned of the of the eight, uh, the last one you mentioned, the monetary criteria, getting the rest of the world using our currency in essence, and we're able to create that currency now that we no longer have a gold standard. We're able to create that, basically, um, almost endless amounts of it. And then we print the money, and China gives us good goods and you know basic things that we can use, and then. And then they're accepting that that paper dollar that buys that buys oil, although it buys a lot less oil than it would have bought a year or two or three or four go, ago. Um, uh, I, I'm just wondering, um, uh, in a sense, if uh, a couple of questions here. Uh, you talked in your on your uh, video on your website, and I would I would tell our listeners that they certainly should go to johnperkins.org, www.johnperkins.org, to watch that video there. And John, uh, you talk there about. Uh, how Nixon took us off the gold standard in 71 and substituted a gold standard, uh, substituted an oil standard for a gold standard. So if I understand what you're saying is that we can now take dollars and one of the few currencies around the world, uh, I guess the only currency really, oil is priced in, in, in dollars, uh, and we can instead of buy gold with it, we can buy oil, although people are buying gold increasingly too again. But is that what you mean? Is that's that's how we've done it. I mean, it, but how was that enforced? I guess that's really what I want to ask you. How how did we did we transform ourselves from a gold standard to an oil standard? Well, it, it, in '71, as you point out, Nixon took us off the gold standard primarily because we were essentially bankrupt. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of countries around the world were calling in the debts that we owed in gold, 
insurance to explain it. He didn't say we were bankrupt, but the truth is we were bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a couple of years, we were the dollar was wandering around out there in Nether, Neverland, basically. And then the Arab oil embargo struck us uh, in, in the early 70s. The Treasury Department came to me and other economic hitmen and said, listen, we can't allow this to happen again. We can't be uh, blackmailed by OPEC because of, I mean, there were long lines at gas stations. We feared we were going to go into another recession like that in the 30s. Um, and we economic hitmen knew that the, the, the solution lay with Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia had more oil than anyone else. The government there was essentially corrupt, and they controlled OPEC. And so, to make a long story short, and the longer version is in Secret History of the American Empire, and some of it's in Hoodwinked, um, but to make a long story short, we convinced the House of Sao, the royal family, uh, that that they uh, should never increase the price of oil by any more than what our oil companies found acceptable. And uh, they would only sell oil around the world for dollars, and they would return uh, most of the money they made selling oil to the world to the United States by buying U.S. government security bonds. The mm-hmm. interest from those bonds would be used by the Treasury Department to hire U.S. firms to westernize Saudi Arabia, build uh, power plants, desalinization plants, oil refineries, in fact, huge cities out of the desert. Mm-hmm. So most of the money actually came back to the United States to our corporations to build things in Saudi Arabia and westernize the country. But And we saw this as this incredible opportunity to insist that nobody could ever buy oil uh, on the international markets for anything other than the dollar, which now put the dollar back in this favored position that it had lost when it went off the gold standard for for a short period of time. Like I said, it was floating in Neverland. This reestablished it as the world currency and therefore put the United States in a very powerful position because, as you point out, uh, we can just keep going deeper and deeper into depth by printing dollars and... Since everybody in the world accepts dollars, uh, we're in fine shape as long as, long as all as the OPEC countries continue to honor this agreement that you can only buy oil for dollars. Well, John, I think this really gets to the heart of what you're what you talked about in the um, secret, uh, or rather, in the Confessions of an Economic Hitman. I believe that we. You know, we've used force, or we use our military. We use our uh, our military power to enforce this oil standard. Is that? Would you say that's true? Well, that's the last resort, Jay. The the first step is that we economic hitmen go in, and 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 maybe you could define economic hitman for those that haven't read the book. And I would I would suggest strongly to all our listeners that they buy the book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and read that. It's very very important. But could you define what a hitman is? And you yeah, were a hitman, as I understand it. You know, we work many ways, but the most common is to identify a third world country that has resources our corporations covet, like oil. Arrange a huge loan to that country from the World Bank or one of its sisters. But the money doesn't actually go to the country. It, it, it goes instead to our own companies to build infrastructure mm. projects in that country. In the case of Saudi Arabia, we used their own money to finance these projects. We, they didn't have to borrow from the World Bank. But in any case, a few wealthy people in these countries benefit from those projects, but the majority of the people don't gain anything. They, they don't have enough money to buy electricity or get jobs in industrial parks or uh, drive cars on the highways that are built with these funds. But they're left holding a huge debt. The whole country is. It's such so a, so a, few, a, few wealth, a few influential people who stand to benefit 
pass the laws or, or give the go-ahead to the United States or, its, or our corporations to go in there and build a large infrastructure project or whatever. Yes, and they're often dictators, not democratically elected, like the House of Saud of Saudi Arabia, for example, mm-hmm. and so many other countries. They sign off on these loans, committing their people to years and years of horrendous debt. The money helps them because, you know, they, they, they get a lot of... Uh, Actually, so a lot of uh, you know corruption from this money. They get to, they end up making a lot of money themselves. But plus, the projects like big uh, power plants serve them because they own the industries and the big commercial establishments, and so they they want to have cheap electricity. They build roads which serve them because they own cars and truck companies and ports because they are in charge of shipping. Mm-hmm. So, so these few wealthy families do very very well, as do our own corporations. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the people are stuck holding this debt, and a lot of money is used to pay the debt service instead of going to paying for education, hospitals, health care, other uh, services for, for poor people. And, and yet in the end, uh, this huge debt is held, and we economic hitmen go back at some point and say, listen, you know, you owe us all this money, and you're not, you can't pay your debts, so give us a pound of flesh, sell your oil real cheap to our oil companies. Mm-hmm. Or vote with us on the next critical United Nations vote, or allow us to build a military base in your country. And on a few occasions when we failed, Jay, and I talk in my book about how we I failed with Jaime Roldos, the president of Ecuador, and Omar Torrijos of Panama, then the jackals go in, and they either overthrow governments or assassinate their leaders. Both Roldos and Torrijos were assassinated by CIA-sponsored jackals because I was unable to corrupt them. I was unable to get them to sell their country short in this way. They were too and, honest. Yeah, they were very, they had great integrity. And in the few cases where neither of these work, like Saudi, like, excuse me, like Iraq, the economic hitmen were not able to convince Saddam Hussein to come around. The jackals were unable to assassinate him or take him out. His security forces were very good. He had look-alike doubles, which make it tough to take a man out. He was very, very crafty about this. Then, and only then, do we send in the military. But the military is always there in the background, and every major world leader knows about this approach. They know that if they don't succumb to the corruption, they're likely to be overthrown or have assassins come after them. If they make it through that, then they're, they're susceptible to military attacks. Okay, well, one of the last things that Saddam did, I think, before we went in to take him out, was uh, he said he wanted to get paid in euros instead of U.S. dollars for his oil. Was that not the case? And if so, do you think that might have led to his demise? I, there's no question that that was one of the factors. Uh, so there were a number of factors. Saddam just wouldn't go along with us. And then in addition to that, he kind of thumbed his nose at us by saying he was going to the euro. The Iranians also opened an oil burst where they they would trade Iranian oil for something other than the euro. And that's it was about three years ago, and it was at that time that the Bush administration became very, very hard line against Iran and, and started making waves about nuclear plants and so on and so forth. A lot of our opposition to Iran at that time was because it, it was doing something that Saddam had threatened to do, and, and that was to uh, sell oil for something other than dollars. Um, so that that's very interesting because we have right now, it seems to me, also a lot of noise being made by some of the rising powers, the rising economic powers. You have uh, China, for example, um, the BRIC countries overall uh, have been making, uh, you know, been talking more and more about wanting a basket of currencies uh, in exchange for oil. Uh, 
I think um, even Germany and possibly um, France has joined in in that chorus. Uh, do you see this as a threat to the establishment? Well, I, I see it as a as a threat in a way to the corporatocracy, the people who control our big corporations in the United States and around the world, because because actually they they benefit from the fact that the dollar is the is the most uh, common currency, and uh, but in a way I also see it as a positive move, because I think countries like Germany and France and China many of the Latin American countries, which are now looking at their own currencies that would be based on a, on, a bar, on a barter system rather than on the sort of the Federal Reserve system of interest rates, mm-hmm. I, I think that, that, that this is a movement in the right direction for the world as a whole. Mm-hmm. Because the, one of the reasons that they're looking at doing this is because they see that the dollar ultimately is very unstable. Mm-hmm. And the system it's built on, our Federal Reserve system, is a very shoddy one. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people understand that today. We need to move beyond it. We, we've, we've come to understand, and this is what my book Hoodwink, that comes out in, in a week, uh, really gets into, is that we've come to understand that the system we've created in the last 40 years, which I call a predatory form of capitalism, is a failure. You, if, you, if you look at a world where 5% of the population in the United States consumes more than 25% of its resources, all you can say is that's not a model that can be replicated in China or India or Latin America or Africa. It's a failure. You need another five to five or six planets just like this one without people uh, to, to, to replicate that. It's a failed system, and it's resulting in a terribly dangerous and unstable situation for ourselves and our children and grandchildren. So we need to move beyond it. We must move into a new type of system. And uh, people in the United States are fearful that, oh, well, if we go off the dollar, et cetera, the United States will lose its power. It really isn't even about the United States anymore. The world today, the geopolitics of the world today are run by huge corporations Mm -hmm. that really know no no national boundaries. They're a lot more powerful than the president of the United States, whether Mm -hmm. he's a Democrat or a Republican. It's really the big corporations that are calling the shots around the world. And they're calling them in China too, and in Africa, and in India, and in Russia, not just here. These so do you think it's, it's our large corporations, the U.S. corporations, the multinational corporations that are really dictating policy, even in places like China and India? To a very large degree, yes. Uh, they have tremendous power and control. The whole Chinese economy, which has had such an incredible uh, growth over the last 30 years, it, it's grown by more than 10% a year on average, and unheard of in world history. But a lot of that has been driven by multinational corporations. They are the market. They are the distributors. They are the ones that have pushed this forward. It gives them a tremendous amount of control. This power base is still U.S.-centric? Well, you know, a lot of these corporations are based in the United States still, but the fact of the matter is the leaders have no loyalty to the United States. I mean, we saw Halliburton move to Dubai you know, mm-hmm. because they thought they could get a better tax deal there. Mm-hmm. So they use the United States, they use our legislature, they use our military if they, ha- if they have the opportunity to, to further their advantages, but they really don't have any loyalty to the people of the United States or to the United States government. They are truly multinational corporations. We're at a time in history, Jay, that's, that's similar to when cities became nation-states. Mm-hmm. City-states became nations, except this time the nations are becoming less relevant 
and the big corporations are, are taking over. They are the geopolitics of the world. We might envision the globe as, you know, here's 180-some-odd countries on this planet. used to be a few of those were very powerful, the Soviet Union, the United Kingdom, the United States. But today you could better envision the geopolitics as being huge clouds drifting around this planet. These are the big corporations. They don't really recognize any borders. And a lot of them are, are, are legally speaking, U.S. corporations, but mm -hmm. they have subsidiaries in every other country and are, are truly multinationals. John, as I heard you talking about the United States, you know, 5% of the population consuming 30% of the world's wealth or whatever, I couldn't help but think that we have a much less egalitarian system of, of income distribution in the U.S. than we had, say, in the 1960s and the 1970s. And since we went off the gold standard, certainly the banking system and the bankers have been empowered, and we've seen a redistribution of wealth now where the greatest minds in America come out of Harvard or MIT or whatever, and they no longer go into engineering or science or something that could build and create things that are good for humanity, but basically go to build black boxes on Wall Street that have actually blown up our financial system. Um, but you mentioned in denying, you mentioned in your latest book um, uh, how that we are denying our basic rights even in, even to ourselves. Uh, you said we've de we've uh, denied ourselves and those we colonize the rights to eloquently. Ex, uh, to the ideas eloquently expressed by our Declaration of Independence. We have forfeited the principles of universal equality, justice, and prosperity. Could you give me perhaps an example, give us an, an example of, of how we've done that to ourselves here in the U.S.? Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, those examples are all over the place right now, Jay. Look at you know, this whole banking fiasco where we've, mm -hmm. we've, we've shored up the banks and the the bankers and the investment bankers are paying themselves uh, bigger bonuses than they ever have before, mm -hmm. even though, you know, the stock market still is something around 10000 and mm -hmm. it was once at fourteen. but they're still paying themselves these huge bonuses, even though they haven't come close to where they once were. Uh, and, and But, you know, there's also more foreclosures on houses than ever before. Mm -hmm. Unemployment rates as high as it's been in a quarter of a century, higher than it's been in a quarter of a century, um, so we're not coming out of a recession if you're an average human being in this country. The only people coming out of the recession are the very wealthy and the very powerful. And so, yeah, the system has become much, much less egalitarian. Mm -hmm. And 9-11, in, in, in many respects, was, was sort of this shock that hit us and was used by the, by the most powerful and the richest people in this country as a way to really get a lot more control. They've been very, very successful at it. it. It was very pronounced under the Bush administration, and it's very pronounced today under the Obama administration, too. We're, we're seeing it continue. We're seeing it even get worse in many respects. The, the bankers are, are running things, and, and you know, it's, it's become pretty obvious that Goldman Sachs is extremely powerful in the, in the financial aspects of the, of the Obama administration, and Monsanto is very powerful on the agricultural side of it. Uh, the military-industrial <laughs> complex is, is extremely powerful. Mm. So we, we've seen this continue. We've seen the power of the corporatocracy. The good news, Jay, is that we, the people, still have the power to take things back. We, we must recognize that these big corporations do not exist because they're forcing us through military might to buy their products or, or to give them power. Mm -hmm. They are getting power because we are succumbing to them. We're listening to their ads. We're buying their mm -hmm. products and goods and services. They have one goal, and that is to maximize profits regardless of the social and environmental costs. Mm -hmm. 
but there's many entrepreneurs today, many people out there working to to uh, make profits, but within the context of creating a sustainable, just, and peaceful world. Mm-hmm. And you and I and all your listeners have the choice to only buy from those companies. We must make that choice. Mm-hmm. You know, if none of us ever again buys from Nike, and at least in the, in the short run, we don't buy from Nike, and we send them an email saying, we're not buying from you because you still have sweatshops in Indonesia mm-hmm. and other places. Mm-hmm. And we instead we buy from a company that does not have sweatshops, and we send them an email and tell them why we're buying from them. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Nike's going to have to change its policies or go out of business. It's, so, it's, that, it's so, that simple. So that's how that's how we got to take it back. We've got to we've got to be responsible. We've got to be understanding what's going on. Uh, books like yours help us understand that. So, uh, and and if I hear what you're saying, probably some decentralization of economic power. That is, we need to do more things ourselves, perhaps locally, and not depend on large multinationals. That's very important, and also to create an economy that truly produces things that that we need. As you pointed out, our economy has become very much a financial services economy. Mm-hmm. Under Jack Welch, GE went from a major manufacturing company to a essentially financial services company. Mm-hmm. And the whole economy did something very similar. We need to now get back into producing things, but producing things that really help to make this a better world. Alternative energy, you know, sustainable energy, mm-hmm. uh, helping produce equipment that cleans up the terribly polluted rivers and lakes around the world and the polluted air and the polluted land around the world mm-hmm. that helps uh, starving people feed themselves. Sure. If we truly want security on this planet, we've got to recognize that we live on a very, very tiny planet. We have to recognize that my grandson is two years old, can't hope to inherit a peaceful, sustainable planet unless every child growing up in Ethiopia and Bolivia and Israel and Palestine has that same expectation. For the first time in history, we live on a very, very tiny, very interrelated planet, and we've only begun to understand that in the last few years. And and for the first time in history, we're all communicating with each other through cell phones and the Internet. We're very interrelated. We need to understand that and to understand that the only way we're going to have homeland security is to recognize that this entire planet is our homeland, and and that the real threat uh, to us are things like global warming, overpopulation, uh, massive starvation and desperation. People who are desperate become violent. They join terrorist organizations. We need to really clean up our act and start developing an economy that that will produce a world that our children and grandchildren will be proud to inherit from us. John, I'm wondering, uh, it seems to me that there are some real concerns, and we're almost out of time here, but there's some real concerns about the loss of civil liberties in the, in the United States. Is that something you're concerned about? Extremely, yes. I, I, I'm, I, as I said, I, 9-11 was this shock that was then used uh, by the Bush administration, the corporatocracy, and since then by Democrats and Republicans alike. And to take away the most basic rights of, of habeas corpus, for example. It, 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 yeah, it's, it, that's frightening. You know, I mean, it's it's terrifying to realize that there there are hundreds, perhaps thousands, of people in prisons today who've never had a free uh, a fair trial in many, many years, and don't ever expect to get one in the United States. And that's totally contrary to everything that we believe in. John, I couldn't agree with you more. We have a lot of work to do. I'm so thankful uh, to you for coming on the show and for the books you've written, the insights uh, that you've given average Americans like myself and my listeners. 
and for a chance to do something and to try to make this a better world. I thank you so much for your bravery and your willingness to go out and say some things that probably aren't very popular with the very people you're talking about. So I want to thank you so much for coming on our show. And again, all all our listeners, I really, really want you to go to John's website. It's johnperkins.org. Go there and learn more about John's work and consider buying his books. They're fascinating reading. They're easy to read. They're fun reads, but they're also very educational and very informative. And as a good citizen, I think you deserve, uh, you must have a read of these books. Thanks again, John, so much for being our guest. It's so greatly appreciated. Thank you. You're welcome, Jay. Thank you. And I'm also on Twitter at economic underscore hitman and on Facebook. So I look forward to being in touch. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, John, again, for all of that. Thank you for that. Folks, we're going to be right back uh, after the commercial break uh, with a wrap-up with Chen Lin and Roger Wiegand. Don't go away. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and the Good Times. Well, it certainly was a very enjoyable uh, visit with John Perkins. And again, I would really uh, advise and suggest that you pick up John's books and go to his website, johnperkins.org. To learn more about this man's work, I think it's it's fascinating, um, fascinating work. Uh, he does have his critics, uh, both uh, within the establishment as well as outside of the establishment. But um, you know, I wish we had more people that were willing to talk about the establishment and uh, uh, you know, people that come from a position of inside. Uh, and and we've had Catherine Austin Fitz on our show, which I think uh, Catherine can really. Also provides a sort of credibility coming from, from you know, relatively high levels in our establishment to talk about what's going on, uh, both uh, as she observed them and also on a personal level. But but Perkins uh, much the same. So we're very thankful to John again for coming on our show. Uh, let's go a little bit to the markets. Talk a little bit about the markets and our views of the markets uh, today. The equity markets are down. The Dow is at 97.56 and. Gold is surging though. It's doing extremely well. It's it's up it's pushing on eleven hundred dollars, frankly. It's not far from it. I think it was a thousand eighty five the last I checked. I really think we're very near a tipping point for the equity markets, and I'm not sure I'm gonna ask Chen and, and Roger in just a second what they think about this, but I believe that we're very close to an end of this of this correction. And I think we're in a secular bear market that began last fall with the Lehman Brothers collapse and that we're very near the end of that correction, and that the next leg down could be horrendous. You know, I'm thinking that we could see a test of the March 6 lows, which would take us way down, uh, very, very much lower than where we are now, would probably really create a lot of fear and anxiety in, in the markets. And so because I've been so sure and so uh, because I believe that the probabilities are so high that we are going to go back down in a major way, I've been suggesting for weeks now that our subscribers build cash. They could sell some of the, take some of the profits out of the gold shares uh, and then use that money to buy some, uh, some insurance, build cash so that we can buy the gold shares cheaper after the market uh, corrects because I do think this is a very bullish environment for gold and gold mining gold mining more than anything because when your costs are going down faster than the price of, the, of what your sell goes up, your profit margins expand. And that's what happened after last fall. I think that's going to happen again uh, if we get another major uh, decline in equity prices and I think commodity prices as well. Well, that's my view. So this last week we have, um, I suggested to my subscribers that they might want to buy some SDS, which is a double down short on the S&P, or SH, which is a straight down uh, on the S&P, so the S&P goes down, your your uh, shares of SH goes up. Prudent Bear Fund is another way we've been playing it. Uh, Prudent Bear Fund, uh, headed by my old friend, or used to be headed by my old friend, uh, David Tice, who will be on our show in the next couple of weeks. David Tice will be our special guest in a couple of weeks from now. But anyway, uh, Chen Lin is with us, and Roger, first to Chen. Uh, Chen, let me ask you, 
what are your thoughts on the gold market now? It's surging, and could you just talk a little bit about the significance, perhaps India buying 200 tons of the uh, of, of IMF gold? Hi, Jay. Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, since last week, I started notice that the gold started to decouple from the, the, the general market as well as the dollar. So I, I wrote a couple of times on my newsletter. I said this is a very very encouraging event. And then the news came out last night. I remember I called you, you know, very late last night. I said, wow, Indian buy two, half of the IMF gold, which is 200 tons. They only have another 200 tons left. So originally I thought China would make a first buy because China has more reserve and then the gold weight is lower. And the Indian just by buying this 200 tons of gold, they increased their gold reserve by 33%. So this is a very significant event. They put a lot of pressure on Chinese part because, you know, China and India, you know, brick country, they're always com- competing with each other. So uh, China, a lot of media, a lot of people are saying China will take, you know, not all the, of the gold from IMF, and then apparently half already sold. So they will put a lot of pressure on Chinese central bank to act quickly and then buy as much gold as they could. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this decoupling then is very important in your view, though, that we're seeing the, actually the gold price rise uh, when the equity markets are going down. Exactly. I mean, I, we've been talking about, I mean, the gold price has been you know, manipulated by those uh, computers, supercomputers by Wall Street that calculate what the dollar value, what the equity value, and that should be the gold value. I mean, they use the same way to calculate subprime in the past few years. You know, they just think, oh, this is the gold going to be. I mean, the equity goes down, gold will go down. And then gold, dollar goes up, gold will go down. It's happened, you know, they, you know may have, maybe have some short-term coloration, but not in the long run. Okay, Roger, what are your thoughts on gold? And uh, would you see some technical points for gold that, that uh, investors should keep an eye on? The thing that I was looking at today, Jay, is that I wanted to see gold December futures get past 1080 and hold. It managed to do that. Uh, They're still trading in after hours right now. The last December gold futures price is uh, 1085. Uh, The price of gold today in in that futures contract is up $31, 2.5%. One thing people need to keep in mind that's coming up in this month of November December gold futures options, the options on the future contracts, expire around Thanksgiving, about the third week of November. And when they expire or prior to, uh, the people that own those positions, usually long positions, they're going to exit. When that happens, the price comes down. But I think that for the time being, for the next few days, say this week, uh, gold can go higher. We did break that magic 1080. And I think that after the next uh, correction, which could be, you know, 15, 20 bucks basically on December gold futures. It's going to turn right around and go a lot higher. Can we make uh, my goal of 1250 by uh, the December contract? Uh, it's hard to say. We're, we've got some time yet. We've got a long way to go, but we did get past the 1080, which is very important. Mm-hmm. Okay. Roger, you made a couple of good trades recently uh, in gold and silver. Would you care to just take a, about 10 seconds to talk about that? Maybe. Yes, we've got some spreads open on gold right now, and we did send an alert today. We bought those uh, uh, at around 1400 They're worth about 2800 right now, and what I want to do is take half the spread money off the table. The other thing we've got is we've got open trades on spreads for silver, Bought those at thirteen fifty, and they were about thirty one hundred. We're going to hang on to those for more money, 
And uh, there's a grain trade coming up I just found out about an hour ago. Okay, very good. Well, you can learn more if you call Claudio Bossi and get a trial of Roger's newsletter. Uh, that's really, the music is telling me that's all the time we have. I want you to know that next week our special guest is Trace Meyer. Uh, we're also going to have Ingrid Hibbard on. She's the CEO of Palangio Explorations. And between the two of them and, and uh, the various other people we have on the show, I think you're going to find it entertaining and hopefully very rewarding. I want to thank the staff at Voice America again. Stacey Trump, my senior executive producer, Ruben Colombe, the operations manager, and Travis Ortwin, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. And again, thanks to each of you for listening. And until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.